Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, you're listening to The Nine Line Podcast. I'm John Archiquette, and with me is my co-host, Joshua Gray, once again. Josh, Happy holidays! Welcome back. We're back. Are we? Can we say happy holidays? We're past that now. Well, true. Okay. I mean, happy New Year. How we, was your holiday? It was good. Good. It was, it was safe and healthy and uh, refreshing. And now we're back to the grind. And you know, I mean, we're not back to the grind. This is this is a, a momentous occasion. We are looking into the future, a, a brighter future now. Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> yeah, last time we we recorded, we had Dr. Daisley and Dr. Kong on with us, and we kind of went through our, our second part of uh, the the lead up to the the COVID vaccine rollout, talking about what the vaccine was going to be, and guess what. It's here. Yeah, now we can yeah. speak in, uh, in, in past and current terms. Um, because it was, what, the 10th, I believe, that we recorded the last podcast. I believe so, yeah. It's been a while. We, and, we, we had a nice little holiday hiatus there. Yeah. Yeah. And since then, uh, it was, I believe, the 16th where we actually uh, administered the first of the Pfizer. Oh, we've been doing it for about a month now, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So now we uh, we can speak a little bit on better terms. Um, and while we may not be the, the, you know, the resident experts on it, thankfully we do have... Uh, <laughs> Two of the gentlemen who have been really responsible for for making this happen so far. So we have uh, Dr. Felix Acevedo. And uh, what is your job title, sir? I'm the emergency preparedness coordinator for the facility. So he's basically the guy that makes all of our point of dis- uh, dispensing exercises happen, our flu shots, all of our vaccines. And basically, he's been the guy who's been uh, orchestrating the rollout for this whole thing. So great to have you on. And, of course, we have Eric Lord. And this is your first time on the show with us. Right? Yes, it is. Yep. And uh, can you tell us again what your job title is? So I'm the acting deputy nurse executive. Okay. And you have been really in charge of a lot of the manpower part of, of making this whole rollout. Happen, yes, sir. Right? So uh, Felix is an Air Force vet, just like Josh and I. And uh, we, we, you know, just to diversify things a little bit, we brought a Marine Corps <laughs> Marine on here. Well, you have to have the best service come on and help you out. So That's exactly. why the Air Force is here. <laughs> we just had to make sure we hide the crayons. Yeah. <laughs> It's breakfast already. So, as we mentioned before, uh, the 16th was the first day that we actually had the the first shots go out, and we took care of a lot of our frontline healthcare staff, uh, a lot of the people who are, are seeing COVID patients on a daily basis, and um, you know, in that in the you know nearly a month since that day, we've gone through uh, Felix. About how many uh, how many doses have we administered so far? It's total for veterans, staff members, first and second dose, about 4,600 doses. 4,600 doses. That's incredible. And it's been really ramping up, um, you know, from the first the first day that we had the, the clinic going. And, I mean, you've got the, the guys working, what, what 12-hour shifts down there? No, well, right now, we're, we're working eight hours. And today, we actually started 10-hour shifts. Okay. So, we're, we're, we increased our time so veterans can come after they work. And uh, make it out, you know, from five, four, five to six o'clock will be open. So it's been moving. I mean, we've had a lot of people going through there, and uh, you know, we're we're really proud to see you know, how how efficiently it's gone. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've probably had some hiccups here and there. We'll we'll talk about some of that stuff. Um, but you know, it's it's been really impressive to see this this really come to fruition. And um, as someone who was you know lucky enough to be able to get uh, a vaccine uh, already, I, I can honestly say that like I'm. I'm extremely grateful for for the work that you guys have done and all the preparation that went into it. 
Um, so what's the latest news on the, the vaccine distribution here at our facility? Uh, what veterans are we now giving the vaccine at the medical center? Well, right now we're looking at our high-risk patients and our 85 and over veterans. So we did a good job getting out the rollout to our healthcare providers, and we're mixing those in now with our veterans. So the key thing is getting those high risk and going by the tiers and following what the state is also doing. So the state just opened up to 70 and, and older. So we're going to follow that pretty soon. So we're now opening up our clinics and we're calling those patients and say, hey, do you want a vaccine? If they do, we're scheduling them for their first and second dose and we're making them go through the pot. Now, do the, does the guidance, you know, we always go by what the CDC guidelines are and things like that, but do we follow more of the guidance from National VA or is it more based on like the local community? Well, we follow the VA guidance um, and the VA guidance, it follows the CDC, but so does the states. The, the states got a little bit more leeway, but we also have to follow what our, you know, um, partner were our community partners, because if we don't increase to 70 and higher, but the community is doing, our veterans are going to go to the community. So, so we want to make sure we provide the best. And, and again, we're basing it based on the doses we have. So as long as we continue to get doses, we'll keep opening them up, opening them up and, and getting as many shots in arms as we can. So you mentioned that if they don't come here, they go out to the community. What's the, is, is there like coordination that goes on with the community that, that hopefully we get all the veterans here or does it mess up a plan if they end up going somewhere else out into the community? Or or is this just one of those things that, you know, we want people to get shots? Like, we, well, we don't have that problem yet because the community hasn't opened up and expanded to patients or regular residents. They're still working on their first tiers. Um, and again, it's infrastructure. And also, you know, the, the doses are based on population. And the Nevada population is only 3 million. So we didn't get as many doses as like the state of California. So... This week, they just opened it up for seniors, and seniors, were in, and they're doing point of dispensings in four locations, but that started this week. So um, a veteran can go anywhere they want, but they like to come here. They, I think they feel a comfort of coming to the VA Medical Center to get their treatment, So, but they have the option of going out there. We've partnered with our state, and we've told our state if veterans call and they're asking for the vaccine, to send them our way, and we'll try to take care of them. So we we started doing the veterans. I believe the the first ones were the LVR three veterans who are um, you know in live, living in residence here. So they, they match that that top tier requirement set up by the CDC. But we've expanded to to doing non residential veterans. Like you said the the ones who have um, comorbidities that put them at a high risk or are of you know eighty five and older. Um, you know, how are these veterans supposed to know it's their time to get their vaccine? We don't we're not advising them to just show up, right? Again, it's a big machine, you know, so putting the shots in the arm is the last piece of the machine. Mm -hmm. The first piece of the machine is identifying these patients. And we've used several methods of calling patients and telling them, it's your turn. Do you want it? Yes or no. But it's important if they decline for us to annotate that in their records. And now we're using a video connect or video text and, and, and audio calls to tell that veteran, hey, your tier group's up. We have the vaccine. Do you want a a vaccine. And if they say yes, it prompts them straight, straight to the call center and we'll book them that appointment. If they miss their call, they get two more calls and we always leave a number to call back. So the big thing is communicating because our phones, since we started this audio uh, text, our phone system has been getting a lot of more phone calls than they're used to getting. I'm sure. So if you're a, say, 67-year-old veteran and you know, you know you're know you not quite there yet, you, you know, 
do, do I sit there and wait by the phone? Do I need to try to, to sign up anywhere? Or, or, you know, do you recommend just uh, making sure I <laughs> keep in touch with my, my provider? Well, they can keep in touch with the provider. But right now, we don't want to open up a call line mm-hmm. for veterans to call for an appointment. And the reason for that is case studies have shown if you put out a number, if you want an appointment, call this number, your phone system is going to crash. And, and, and that's happened during this pandemic as certain healthcare systems throughout the country. So we don't want that. So what we're telling them is a constant message is we're going to call you and then we're going to do follow-up. But we also got PAC team members that are talking to their veterans. We have their nursing staff talking to their veterans. So if we miss one or that veteran doesn't get a call, we're not, we're not rigid that, you know, we're going by the process. We have, we manage by exception. Again, the goal of this team was to put shots in arms. So every day we do a huddle and we make sure what we did well and where we can improve on. And, you know, and, and unfortunately, every day the rules might change. But the end result is we increase our capability and capacity every day. So one of the things we've seen and we talked about, about a lot with uh, Dr. Kung and uh, Dr. Daisley was, you know, there's, there was a lot of skepticism out there about the vaccine. Uh, now that you're actually out there making calls and asking people, do you want this vaccine? Uh, how what, what's the rate of people that have come back and said, nah, I'm good for now? Or, or has it been like just an overwhelming response of people going, yes, yes, I want the vaccine? Well, originally we had about 60 percent of our staff that jumped on it. And, and they wanted to look and see what happened to that 60%. And then when we started vaccinating our veterans, they're coming back to us and say, okay, no one grew a third head. Can I get my shot? <laughs> yeah. So now we started mixing those in also. We didn't want to stop the veteran machine. So we're mixing in employees with veterans. And with the, with the priority of veterans, we're, our priority is to get as many veterans done and we're fitting in our staff by appointments. So, yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's turned around. A lot of naysayers, and, and again, it, a lot of his education is new, and most people didn't live through the pandemic of 18, 1918. Yeah. So this is new to a lot of people. Um, but again, it, it's here, and the only way we're going to protect ourselves, like Dr. Daisley and Khan said, is just herd immunity. So one thing that, you know, you're, you guys are pretty humble. Um, I, I want to give you a little props because, uh, you know, this has been a really well-oiled machine. And I know you guys are dealing with a lot of variables that are being kind of thrown in last minute. But but so far, this has been extremely efficient. And I think a lot of that goes to uh, the preparation you've done ahead of time, not only with, you know, during the summer and, and fall when we knew that eventually a vaccine would be a thing. But, you know, we're doing an annual point of dispensation and exercise with our flu shots. So, you know, this isn't something that, that just gets dropped, you know, randomly and we're just trying to try to scramble to pick up the pieces. Like you guys have, have been practicing this and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of communication that goes on. Like what kind of a, a team have you built to make this happen? Well, we have in the facility the Emergency Management Committee, and that's a pretty robust committee. And within that committee, we have a pandemic subgroup. So back in December, when we knew things were going on in China, we activated that subgroup. And, you know, just like we did with Ebola, we said, this is going to happen. Let's get in front of it before we get have to be reactive. And You're the team came December together. December 20, 2019, though. Uh, so yeah. just not, not last month. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We make sure that everybody knows that we're ahead of this, right? Not not that we just caught up a month ago. Yeah. So, I, keep, okay. I keep forgetting a year's past. Yeah. So, yes. back in, It's been a fast year. Hasn't yeah. It? Yeah. In 2019, we got a good group together and... Um, 
and the thing is, it was a dynamic group, infection control, infectious disease, nursing providers. And believe it or not, before we had the first patient, because we all know that the VA had the first patient, we had tabletop that two days prior. And then when it happened, it was just like turning on buttons because everybody was ready because we talked about this is where we at, folks. This is where we need to be. So when that first patient came on board, it was smooth sailing. You know, we were able to execute the plan because not only did we have it built, but we actually exercised it and looked at the strengths and weaknesses, not only within ourselves, but we invited our community partners to include the Air Force Mm -hmm. and the health district and other healthcare providers so they know this is what we can do. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know how you want to look at it, we wind up getting, you know, patient X, the first patient in Nevada. But better us than someone else because we were prepared. Yeah, you know, it goes back to, so since we opened this hospital, we have been activating and running pods. Mm-hmm. We, when Ebola outbreak happened and there was the Ebola outbreak in the United States that, that was coming over, we we opened a pod up and did a, a, pod, um, a pod dispensing on how to put your PPE on, right? And we ran hundreds and hundreds of staff members do that right downstairs in the auditorium so every time that this comes up even though we do it as a normal practice for our flu uh, season anytime anything else has popped up we've used it we used it for the antibody testing with lab we used it for you know swabbing we use it all it, it is part of our our culture and as you come on as an employee here and emergency management is our, is our lifeline right so we live it all the time knowing that we're going to need it because that's how we expand in Las Vegas, we surge every year for flu, and so we need to be prepared. With Felix actually at the helm doing his job, we are more prepared than other agencies are. So we're extremely lucky, right, to have an Air Force veteran, a doctor of emergency medicine that actually works with us. So um, can't say enough about that. Is that outside of the norm for either a medical facility or a, or a VA? Because, like, from a, from a layman's perspective, I would look at something like this and go, well, this is a this is a, a once in a hundred years thing. Of course, mm-hmm. nobody's going to be ready for it. But right. you're both sounding like this is like eh, it's it's not that big a deal because we practice it so much. Is is that something that that everybody prepares for, or is that just a unique thing that we're doing here? No, I think it's a unique thing. I think after nine eleven happened, FEMA. Um, got together and sent out a bunch of funding to regular hospitals that they could apply for and have a decon trail and other items. And I think that falls to the wayside as to regular business. Um, At this facility, it's regular business to have emergency management there all the time because we are, our fourth mission is to take care of the public, right? So it is still part of our mission to do that every day. And so it's ingrained in our culture. When we were at Nellis, Nellis didn't have the the best response to some emergencies that happened out there as well because they didn't practice it the way that we do as well. It is different. I've never been in a hospital that actually knew that could do this the way that we do here. Um, did trauma centers, did emergency room before I even became a nurse with the VA. And still, I don't think that anybody else has a system that they could flex. And we've seen that in the city, that they can flex to do what we do today because this is really part of our culture. And to put it in perspective, there's about 37 healthcare systems in the state of Nevada. There's only three full-time emergency managers. Two of them at the VA, at Reno, one here, and UMC. Everyone else does it by collateral duty. Mm-hmm. And then if you look throughout the enterprise of the VA, there's about 151, 52 healthcare systems. There are only about 80 emergency managers working. Now, some um, uh, facilities are lucky to have two. Some even have three. We're fortunate that we hired a in another emergency manager, Adrian Allen, that has been great for us to um, to to help because I 
I couldn't do half of the things that I have to get done during the day by myself. Um, because we have practiced this, but now we're living it. And it's 24 hours, seven days a week. Yeah. And, you know, you, you have a, a robust team that you guys have put together that's, that's really making this happen and rolling it out. And, you know, we're, we're very grateful for that. And, we're, you know, as a veteran myself, I consider myself lucky that we have that. Um, you know, I'm sure you, as a you know logistics professional, you're aware that you're, you can only plan for so much. There's a lot of variables that come into it. What are some of the hurdles and challenges that you've seen so far in the rollout of the vaccine? I believe a lot of the unknowns. When the vaccine first came out, we didn't know, you know, what was going to be the vaccine. Was mm-hmm. it one dose, two dose? Didn't need to, you know, there was the freezing issue. And But the biggest challenge I think now, and I think Eric would agree with me, is the distribution piece. We built the capacity to provide the vaccines they've given us. If they gave us more, they distributed more to us, we probably can produce and give out more shots in our. But I think the biggest challenge is the unknown. We make assumptions, but we can't over-inoculate individuals because then we'll run out of immunization. Right. Because we can, we can run our machine 20 hours a day, 24 hours a day. We could get the staff to do that. But we only get so many doses. And we don't – the federal government still hasn't figured out how many doses we're going to get yet. They're trying to determine what's the best route for the whole rest of the country. Um, the doses that we got from Pfizer, we won't be getting a different dose from Moderna right now, right? So um, they're trying to get those dedicated to other areas that weren't part of that 37 um, facilities that actually got the, the Pfizer doses. So we have that limiting factor. It's it's frozen, right? Once it's you, – you, it can be frozen for so many months. Once you thought, you have five days. Once you mix it, you have five to six hours, right? So in order for us to do anything else beyond here, we have to take the machine with us if we want to go to one of the clinics. If we need to go into Pahrump or go to Laughlin, right, we have to take that whole machine down there and make it happen down there as well. Now, we can um, because we have done this enough that we know how to do it. We have the ability to take one of our DUVs down there, our 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 big buses that actually have that, that ability to be a mash uh, unit inside of it. We can take that and take staff down there and move that around. But again, it comes back to how many doses are we getting a week? And if we can do so many doses here and and we're not getting any more doses, do we really take and try to expand that to somewhere else and take away the doses where people are coming here and they know and the machine's here already? So that... One question I've had, uh, and it's kind of an overarching question for any facility, but like... A lot of there's a lot of talk that's gone on about uh, wasted doses. Like, hey, we we don't want to mix this much because so so. What happens if you go to like Perump yep. and you say, well, by, based on all of our research, we think we're going to have a hundred people come and, right. and, and get vaccines. Yeah. So you take a hundred a hundred doses down there, and then only sixty people show up. Sure, we learned what happens. Yeah. Like, do you just give it to staff? Do you just uh, let anybody walk in off the street like what exactly what's the plan exactly yeah, and that and that's where flexing and not being rigid to the plan is mm-hmm. so if we come we i don't think we will overestimate 40 but if we estimated let's say 12 shots we will walk down the streets of Perump and grab people and say do you want a vaccine because we're not going to waste a vaccine because they're not veterans or because they're not in the system or they're not in the age group. And that's what we do every night. Every night when we have extra vaccines, we open it up to first come, first serve because we've actually wasted one dose in 4,600 that we've given. And it was by accident because we dropped it. So, and that's remarkable because people were wasting 12, 20 doses a day at the start of this. So we look at the appointment grids that we built 
and we forecast. And then at the end of the day, we is a slower process because we're only drawing or mixing for what we need. Right, and that's the control point, right? So if we were to go to Laughlin or somewhere else, we would take our doses with us. You don't mix it because that's the biggest time limit. The thawed dose, you have five days. If you don't mix it and we don't use it down there, we can bring it back up. As we get to the end of the day, if you, if we don't have six people there, five people there, right, we're not mixing the next dose. So if we have four people in line, we're searching for the next two to bring them out so we can actually get all, all those people the dose, right? And again, it's getting more, it's shots in arms. Shots in arms. The more people that we have inoculated, the better off our herd immunity is going to be. So Sure, and I wasn't sure how that, that process works. So explaining it that way, that that... That that does a lot of uh, that and, clears a lot of stuff. And we up. refine that process every day yep. because every day we learn something new. And yep. you know, it, it's not a science; it's not a perfect science. But we've been lucky and fortunate, and you know, and the, and the demand is there. Now, as this goes on, we might not be as lucky to find those people walking around right. and want a shot. Right. Right. So we have to be a little bit more careful. You know, in yeah. football, if there's a guy that has a fumbling problem, the coach makes him walk around with a Correct. with a with a football. Yeah. Is there is there somebody downstairs now that has to walk around with like a syringe no. to make no, sure they no, don't no, drop no, it no, anymore? No, and it was we we overtaxed <laughs> the system and we put a lot of workload on those nurses. Sure. And to have one drop, right, is really and I mean it's it it it's it sucks, right? We lost right. a dose. But I mean, as one out of 4,000 to me, that oh, sounds like yeah. a great, that, that's great. Oh, yeah. Like that's you only wasted one yeah. dose out of 4,000, yeah. right? But, you know, I, for, for you guys, it's probably like somebody who works in rockets saying, well, we, we blew up one rocket out of 4,000. It's like, yeah, you probably don't want to blow that one uh, up. You know, yeah. that, that high reliability organization that we want to be, right? We, right. we don't want to have any failures, sure. right? But we know that there can be a failure and then we adjust and make sure that doesn't happen again. So, yeah. Uh, that's an incredible success rate, though. One out of 4,600, mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. So... Um, very well done. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be back with Dr. Acevedo and Eric Lord. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. One day he called me out of the blue and it's comforting to know that I always encountered him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call, your presence, your words, your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at veteranscrisisline.net. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. 
Welcome back to the Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here, and we have our special guests, Dr. Felix Acevedo and Eric Lord, joining us for the first time. We're going over the uh, the logistics and some of the stats and figures from the the vaccine rollout, and um, it's 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 pretty incredible the uh, the speed with which we've got this uh, up and running, and and how efficiently it's been going. You mentioned before, uh, forty six hundred doses have been administered, and and only one that that uh, has gone to waste. So that's that's incredible. Um, now going into the uh, some of the, the information from the, the actual vaccine itself, uh, we're seeing some side effects nationwide. Uh, you know, some people are, are having some effects, but we have that that mandatory fifteen minute waiting period after you receive the vaccine. Um, have we seen any issues with people having any negative side effects, reactions, anything like that? Well, from a department um, standpoint, we had one individual that had a adverse reaction. We took it to the ED. We gave her some Benadryl and she was okay. However, she knew going in that she was allergic to the vaccine or allergic to components of the vaccine. She had her EpiPen and she actually shot herself up before, yeah, before we even, she knew going in, but she had, you know, she had COVID before. She, she had a reaction to vaccines before. So when she was in the observation area, she started twitching. She took out her EpiPen, shot herself on her leg and then we did a medical response. We gave us some Benadryl, took it to the ED, and she came back for a second dose. Well, good, good. <laughs> so, um, but Eric could probably talk about more about the adverse reactions we've had. Yeah, a, a lot of them have been, um, you know, your body's going to create that immune response, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like after you get the flu vaccine, sometimes you get body aches, you get some fever that you can treat with Tylenol at home. Most people, it's an overnight item and they come back. We've had a couple of staff members few staff members that take off the next day because they're achy um, and they don't want to come to work. But that's really it. It's been that generalized malaise, some generalized body aches, right? A little bit of fever that you can treat and come back. And then we have other people that have not had any response whatsoever. Um, and they come back to work the next day and, and have no idea. And, um, and that's 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 the key thing is it's different for everyone's body, but so yep. is the coronavirus. Yep. So, you know, some people lose their sense of taste and smell. Some people don't. So the virus is a wild card. So so is the adverse reactions. But, you know, we really have one that we highlighted because it was a scary point. Mm-hmm. But besides that, besides, the, you know, the general Malaysia, we've we done pretty good. And does that track with what you would normally expect for of any course. kind of vaccine? Yes. So yeah. it's, it's well within the norm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 One out of, Actually, yeah, we expect it more, okay. especially yeah. now that we started the second dose. We expected more, so we made sure we have more equipment, more monitoring, and we, you know, uh, we were better prepared because we thought the second dose was going to impact us more, but actually it hasn't. Yeah, we have a provider down there every day just for this emergency. We have an emergency box and a registered nurse down there just watching the patients and staff. And it's not just 15 minutes. If you've had a comorbidity in the past and we know about it, it's 30 minutes. So we will take the time that we believe we need to before we send you on home. Um, and again, it's been extremely safe, right? So we haven't really had any any major reactions down there except for that one. And that was a known, I have an acute reaction, I carry an EpiPen. And those are the people that were telling you probably shouldn't get it right now until we know what else is going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So is that kind of a waiting period and everything? Is that a standard practice? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, anytime you get a new vaccine in your body, regardless if it's a brand new vaccine, but if it's the first time your body is experiencing this vaccine. So if you've never gotten a flu shot and you get a flu shot tomorrow, Mm -hmm. they're going to ask you to wait 15 minutes because they don't know how your body's going to react to it. So various plans have been proposed to the CDC and uh, they only call for giving all of the vaccine as soon as possible. 
and maybe not reserving that second dose. And then, you know, we've, we've heard kind of go back and forth based on the administration. Uh, what is our current policy when it comes to that? We are not going to just dose you one time. So we're not at that point where we believe that one dose is just enough for our immunity. And we're going to keep following the plan to give two doses. Um, I know England actually made that choice to actually start doing just one dose and get as many as possible and then push it out. Uh, we're not at that point. Um, especially with as many doses that are still reserved within the states that we can still give out, there's no reason that we should just stop and only give one dose for now. So, And I think the reason the CDC changed their posture is because they went back to Pfizer and Pfizer was able to tell them, we can give you two billion doses by the end of the year. So you can start giving out these doses that you're reserving for second dose because we can fit backfill that. So Pfizer has their machine running they don't have no supply chain issues. So they're telling the federal government, we'll give you what you want. So don't don't reserve thinking you're not going to get the doses. And that's that's irrespective of Moderna, Correct. Johnson & Johnson, Correct. and all of those other mm-hmm. AstraZeneca, all those other Correct. ones that are out there that, that we're hearing about. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yep. So if we're one of the few facilities that, that's getting Pfizer, a lot of them are getting Moderna. Um, is that going to put us maybe at an advantage to have a more steady supply if, if you know, there's less kind of competition for Pfizer? Well, for the VA, for the VA yeah. I, no, I, I don't think it'll put us in a, in a competition. Um, I think it'll give us the distribution we need as they, you know, distribute more allocations. And they're also doing it by what the facility's capacity is. So even though their population might be bigger than our population, if they can't, if they're not proven they can put shots in arms, they're not going to get the distribution. That's why we have not paused and we've kept a steady state and increased our capability because we want to demonstrate to the Vizin and Vaco is give us the shots, we'll put them in the arms. Mm-hmm. So like Eric said, you know, we're putting 500 shots in arms running an eight-hour pod. If we ran that pod for 16 hours, we can do a 1,000. And, and, and the staff, while they're working hard, they're not tasked. It's more chaotic. Um, because we have so much people and we're trying to social distance. We're trying to make sure, you know, we have our hands washed and, you know, we're not cross-contaminating each other. It's, that's the chaos por- portion. But putting shots in arm, we've distribute, we demonstrate that capability over and over again. And now we've got, we've got it down to a science of giving the shot, documenting the encounter, giving the employer, the, the second um, appointment, observating so, you know, people are coming in and in 30 to 45 minutes from cradle to grave are leaving. Yep. Uh, how is staffing working, uh, especially considering the fact that we're still in the middle of an upswing of coronavirus itself? You know, every day it's a new record. So, like, how, how do you allocate, how do you work all of the staffing out with, with that top-level issue still out there? Well, we, we take a look at, there's two missions that, that the, really the director has us going on right now, is keeping a stable and safe inpatient environment, knowing that that's expanding on up, and we're at record numbers in the hospital. Um, and we've kept a steady number of positive COVID patients in our, in our COVID ward since this started, um, as well as d- delivering this vaccine. So with those two priorities, right, on top of there, we, we downscale other items that we would normally offer, right? So primary care being one of them, we've downscaled what kind of staff that we have out there, but then we've increased their video, their video visits, right? So you don't necessarily need to have all the, all the staff on hand if I'm doing a video visit, so I don't need them there. So we're kind of borrow, we're borrowing from Peter to pay for Paul right now. But with this as our, our determining factor, right, we've also asked for extra staff, right? So they're just 
bringing in some not to exceeds to help us out, cover other areas so that we can keep moving on and having our patients seen and getting the care that they need. You can't stop cancer treatments, right? We can't stop emergency surgeries. We can't stop, you know, pain procedures. We can't stop the emergency room. So we still need to keep staffing those areas. But everyone in this valley is at that stretch where they don't know where they're going to get the next nurse or somewhere else. So we, with the VA, we're lucky because we can take a med tech from the Air Force. We can take someone that's got out, a veteran that actually has that, 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 um, history and that education from their past, bring them on and use them here in the medical facility to do more jobs than you would be able to do out in town. So um, I, that's how we're covering staffing. So going back to the, the, the vaccine itself and like the doses, when we're, you know, extracting those and, and, and mixing it with the saline solution, um, you know, we saw some reports where, you know, we're supposed to be getting five out of each vial, but they're able to stretch it and get six in most cases. Um, are we doing that here? We are. We actually got lucky. Um, when this first started, the VA was very rigid with their with their mandate. They didn't want us to pull any extra because they didn't know what it was going to do. They also didn't know that we were going to get, if we would get a full dose out of that. So um, after the first couple of days of us delivering our vaccine, they came back and changed their mind. And they said, if you can get a full dose, right, another full dose out of there, then pull it. And we're averaging six doses. Up until now, What we've done, what, 4,600? Of those 4,600, we've had 655 extra doses that we pulled out, right? So it's really good um, moving forward. So long as the manufacturing process keeps going on, that's probably going to be a six-dose vial instead of a five-dose vial. So so best estimates, you know, we're looking at two doses per veteran and with, you know, the amount of veterans that we have in our in our area, um, you know, based on averages of, of how many people are you know so far willing to or, you know, trying, you know, trying to get the vaccine. When do you think is going to be, you know, when can we get as many people vaccinated as possible? That's the magic question right there. If the VA um, vaccinates all our veterans in our catchment area, it will take us about six months to do. However, you know, the health district started um, doing 85, uh, 75 and over. Mm -hmm. They're doing first responders with some of those first responders are also veterans in our catchment area. CVS, Walgreens, Albertsons, they're starting to ramp up. Mm-hmm. By the end of the month, they're going to start doing, there's going to be major pods throughout the throughout the county. So the, the assumption is that some of our vets will go to those pods because they're closer. Um, and so, but if we, right now, our, our assumptions, emergency management is based on assumptions, it'll take us six months to get all our veterans two doses in, this, in our catchment area. So uh, the, the question I have with that then is, uh, you know, we, we hear about how long this vaccine regimen is going to take for the, the nation as a whole. And that's a lot that's a lot longer than six months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. if we chew through all of those veterans, we get all of those veterans vaccinated and we still have the capacity and we still have the infrastructure here. Do we then uh, activate that fourth mission and open the doors to the general public and become a general public location or, or how does that work? Well, central office is working that. As a matter of fact, this week, central office opened up uh, some VA facilities, not us, to provide um, Department of Homeland Security employees with vaccinations because Homeland Security is the second or third biggest federal agency, but they don't have doctors and nurses. But the VA does. So some of my colleagues right now are working on providing DHS with with, with immunizations. And there'll be other services like DOE, uh, not DOE, um, the Department of Energy. You know, they they have a big presence here in the Valley. They got a big contingency of people. But we also have Nellis Air Force Base, which is also a federal partner that has 
space. They have a lot more space than us. So if we did get tasked to do a mission like that, we would probably try to partner up with the Air Force because one thing they have more than we is, is space. And like you said before, we still have, you know, a lot of other missions going on here that we need to take care of. Exactly. So, you know, and speaking of which, um, you know, this vaccine is not the only vaccine that we're encouraging veterans to go get. You know, we're still in the middle of flu season. Yes. And, you know, there's still a lot of veterans out there who, you know, could benefit greatly from having a flu shot. So if you haven't gotten your flu shot yet this year, um, you know, it's not too late. You can still go get your flu shot as well. Or your pneumonia shot, right? Yeah. So the only, the only limiting factor is if you get the COVID vaccine, you need to wait two weeks. Right. Or if you're going to get it, we have you scheduled for it. You know, wait, it needs to be two weeks before you get it. But there is no reason that you can't keep getting those just because this is going on. Yep. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much for being on with us today. This has been extremely informative. And uh, again, thank you for what you're doing to, to make this vaccine roll out, go as smoothly and efficiently as possible. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. OK, well, thank you for listening to the Nine Line podcast. We will uh, see you in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening. <laughs>